Good afternoon. I'm Callie Crossley. Today we're talking about parking lots and some innovative approaches to rethink them. Why? Because parking lots cover huge swaths of our urban landscape, and for all the space they take up, their design and function lacks a lot of imagination. Joining me to talk about how we can push the parking lot into the 21st century is Aran Ben-Joseph. He's a professor of landscape architecture and urban planning at MIT. His new book is Rethinking a Lot. The Design and Culture of Parking. Welcome. Thank you, Kelly. Wonderful being here. Oh. Um, I want to go back, way back, uh, to where your book begins, really, to, to, be, to tell us about the evolution of parking. And what I learned is that the history of parking started with animals. Uh, tell us about that. <laughs> well, it's correct. Uh, if you think about it, uh, when um, before we had cars, uh, most people use horses or donkeys or uh, carts to move around. And... Uh, we can go back all the way to Assyrian time or even Roman time to see uh, how uh, the rulers of uh, those uh, nations tried to control the um, use of the street or the roads. Uh, and at that time, we uh, find the first kind of regulation in terms of how and where uh, to deal with your animal, where to park it, uh, where to put it, uh, how to deal with issues such as uh, the waste that comes from those uh, uh, quote-unquote vehicles and so on. So um, uh, that's as, as early as we know. Uh, and then if we go a little bit more uh, to uh, not as present time, but about 400 years ago, so uh, we can find some of the first rules, particularly in the United States, in New York City, uh, in terms of dealing again with uh, control of animals in the, in the public space, which were, of course, the streets at that time. So then talk about leaping ahead in time when the word park was first uh, used to describe putting your animals, uh, gathering them in one place out of the way. Again, that's an interesting uh, When I first started to, to look at uh, that issue of parking lot. I tried to figure out why do we have the word park in, uh, in parking. Uh, and, of course, it goes back again to the time where, again, animals were contained in a fenced area. Uh, and at that time, particularly in England, uh, the use of the word really implies to contain uh, livestock or animals. And then slowly uh, it uh, was uh, used uh, for the uh, expression in terms of storing particularly military equipment uh, So, uh, and, and most specifically uh, artillery. And uh, the, again, the word in the military jargon for parking the artillery uh, was uh, used uh, for the first time. And then we slowly start seeing it as, again, um, in, in terms of the evolution of the word, uh, is a place where you would store uh, vehicles, carts, and so on. Uh, so, again, that's kind of an interesting uh, element to it. And, again, the word park probably comes from the fact that initially there were animals in there, and it was green and it was fenced. And, of course, also we know that in terms of landscape architecture, some of the first parks that were designed were indeed fenced, uh, and only the privileged could access them. Ah, uh, so now we keep going home, time warping in <laughs> forward, and now we have the parking lots that, that we know about. Uh, and I really, honestly, hadn't thought much about a parking lot, and except when I'm frustrated in trying to find a parking spaces. Many of us have had that experience. So this book, uh, as beautiful as it is to talk about so, what is essentially an ugly <laughs> – Space, space uh, as you yourself as a as a landscape architect would know. So how do we get to the place where this space is just so ugly? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure I have the answer, but that's what I tried to do in this book. And I think uh, just as you mentioned, uh, such a simple question is exactly where it was my departure for the book. Um, if we had a TV, we could pan the camera outside this window and look across the street, and we have a That's great a example <laughs> yeah. uh, of a great parking lot. I won't mention the uh, <laughs> the type of business that is associated with this parking lot, but uh, this is exactly uh, what I was interested in. Uh, first of all, you know, I teach, as you mentioned, in an urban planning landscape architecture, and uh, many of my students always ask, uh, why are, again, those parking lots so ugly? And if we have to actually uh, teach some of our students how to design those parking lots, um, I always uh, kind of scratch my head and, and uh, try to figure out if there are actually good examples uh, that can be given in terms of case studies. And there were very uh, few of those. Um, so the question is, why are parking lot ugly or why are they not as aesthetically pleasing? Uh, goes back again probably for the fact that many of the parking lots are actually not regulated in terms of the landscape features. Uh, if you look at some of the zoning ordinances in places even like Boston or Cambridge and some of more progressive 
native cities in terms of the design of our urban environment, uh, the actual controls or regulations or codes that try to specify how to design the internal part of the parking lot are often not there. Now, that's also an interesting element because in some cases you might argue that if a place is not as controlled and not as um, regulated as some other places, you could give the freedom for the designer or for the planner or for the landscape architect to do some wonderful things. So uh, from that point, uh, it is a little bit of a catch-22, I always say for myself, because if we actually have the good opportunity and the right, uh, again, professionals dealing with parking lots, then the issues of just efficiency of storing the cars is not the only purpose of the place, but you could also look at it as a place that provide for other um, purposes that could actually mitigate for some of the environmental conditions that actually even be beautiful and will accommodate also some of the more, uh, I guess, technological and specific needs and the, and the uh, requirement for parking itself. Um, I am talking with uh, MIT professor Aron Ben-Joseph, and we're talking about his book, Rethinking a Lot, the Design and Culture of Parking. And there's a lot to say about the culture of parking. We'll get to that in just a second. In the meantime, we want you to join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Call in with your parking gripes. Now, you've just heard the professor say nobody thought about how ugly these parking lots are or even their functionality. So call in and tell us about a parking lot that works for you or to report a parking lot that could use a 21st century makeover. That number, 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. And you can write to our Facebook page or send us a tweet at Kelly Crossley. So here's the thing that I found so fascinating reading your book. It's as though everything else uh, re- with regard to land and space in the city is aggressively uh, zoned, regulated, Somebody has a say about how it looks. And then you get to the parking lot. It's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's just, correct. I just don't get that. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if I get it either. <laughs> so uh, usually the requirements about parking lot tends to be uh, the amount of cars that you need to store and where the car should enter or exit. And in some places, in some other um uh, locations, for example, there might be other stipulation. Uh, for example, in California and other places, we see now some requirements in terms of landscaping, uh, particularly shading of the parking lot, and that's a good move, especially in the fact that with the fact that if you have a paved area, paved surface, and there's so much of the uh, uh, heat island effect that created and the rise of the temperature, you do want to cover uh, the parking lot with trees. So we see some of that is actually happening in other places. Uh, some of the landscape. Uh, requirement would be to, for example, screen the parking lot from the street as if, again, because of the acknowledgement that it is so ugly. So at least if we walk in the street, we won't see those cars. And one of the things that, again, I try to push in the book and and, and uh, through my talks and teaching is that that integration should happen more seamlessly within the parking lot and not just think about it as such an eyesore that we need to, uh, in a way, hide it. Uh, we should all acknowledge that most of us use the car. Uh, most of us still get to work uh, with a car and we need to park it. And in a way, integrating that sequence of both driving and then getting out of the car and walking into our destination uh, should be actually a pleasant situation and not necessarily somewhere where you either have to fight to get a parking space or fight against the cars when you actually become a pedestrian. So what is the typical parking lot? Because now we know that nobody's paying attention to it, or I've learned from from reading your book. The typical parking lot in in anywhere USA is what? What does it look like? Uh, How many parking spaces, et cetera, et cetera? Well, as as probably most of the listeners know, it it is typically an asphalt uh, paved area. Uh, that if we are lucky, we will see some trees that uh, are uh, covering few of the spots. Uh, in some other places, again, if we are lucky in terms of uh, the uh, design itself, there will be actually a pedestrian walk leading, leading to the destination. But as I said, in most cases, it will be really comprised of the uh, dimension that are required to park uh, what we call a parking stall, where you park actually the the car itself, and the uh, drive area where you actually drive uh, both to get to the parking space and where you back uh, back out of it. And those are really the dimensions that uh, basically uh, define the uh, space itself. And then we have what is called the, uh, the the parking requirements in terms of the numbers 
terms of parking spaces that are that have to be allocated in the space itself and those usually are driven by uh, what we call parking demands or those formula formulas that are generated by uh, various professional transportation engineers or the city itself that says that for a particular uh, land use or for a particular uh, square footage uh, of a building we have to provide uh, such and such amount of parking and of course that of course that also been uh, somewhat controversial in terms of uh, uh, where are those numbers coming from and some people yeah where are they coming from well that's a good guess <laughs> supposedly from surveys and actually looking at uh, at how the uh, measuring you know the, the type of uh, tra- what you call traffic generation of that particular land use but many people uh, have challenged that and say that often those numbers are not as accurate of course in other places such as commercial or retail the uh, establishment itself would want to sometimes uh, have more parking than needed particularly if they design it for the uh, peak shopping days of the year. Uh, so even though the uh, parking lot might not be full all the year, they would like to have enough spaces uh, during the those those days, usually the... You like know, around Christmas time Exactly, or after okay. Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Um, and again, the question is... Uh, even if we have to provide uh, those spaces and design those parking lot, can some of it be uh, designed a bit differently? I always like to say, can you think about a great parking lot? I would love to hear from your, from your listeners if they know of a great parking lot, just like we might say there are some great streets like Newbury Streets or Boylston Streets or, or other wonderful streets that we know. Do we really have a great parking lot that could be as an example of how those spaces could be designed. Well, much like the whole uh, boxers versus briefs uh, controversy, angle versus straight end. I mean, what what do the landscape architects, urban planners say is best? And let me give this number out one more time. 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Uh, Professor Aran Ben-Joseph would like to know if you have a favorite parking lot that works well. I, I know many of you have parking lots that don't work well. I have one myself, which I'll mention later. But uh, call in or send us a Facebook uh, message or a tweet at at Callie Crossley. So angle parking versus straight in. So the geometry of the stalls themselves and the parking usually is uh, something that comes out from the amount of space that uh, you have in terms of the designing of uh, the parking lot. If it is an angled parking, then you get less spaces, but the width of the parking lot could be much shorter because the backup space is uh, less than if you are in a 90 degree. So some of this geometry has to do with the site itself and the configuration. Um, there is uh, more more of a story about the angle parking or uh, the parallel parking or the diagonal parking and so on with regard to street parking. It's kind of interesting, you know, if you look at some of the streets that are wider, uh, they're not so much in terms of the parking lot themselves. Some, of course, most of the parking today is done uh, in parallel parking. But in some other places where the street is is wide enough, there have been a diagonal parking and, again, to allow for more capacity. Uh, In some places, uh, that has been uh, changed because of issues of safety where people say, well, if you back back into the traffic, uh, it could be uh, dangerous, although we now see some other uh, uh, streets that are some some towns that are getting back into what we call uh, back in into the angle parking. So you go back with the the back of the rear of the car first, and then it's easy to uh, merge into traffic. Uh, Interestingly enough, historically, that goes back again also, and the idea of a curb parking goes back again to horses and wagons. If you look at some of the kind of Western movies and you see how people used to tie their horses or wagons, they used to kind of almost park in a, in a parallel or diagonal. And that kind of, when people start driving, of course, it went back again into the car uh, in, in the same format. Hmm. All right, let's take a call. Uh, Larry from Mansfield, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, 89.7 WGBH. Hi, um, I just wanted to comment. I, I lived in Germany for a few years, and it was quite common in Germany in office parks, not so much shopping malls, but office parks. The parking lots were were quite beautiful and functional. They used flat paving stones. They they had about an inch between each stone, so they, there was a short grass, uh, well manicured grass in between the stones. Didn't reflect heat. Looked quite nice. Was easy to walk on. It, it's very easy to do. It's just uh, it's just I haven't seen it since I've been back in the states. Just wanted to comment on that. 
Well, Larry, thank you for the call. You must have read Rethinking a Lot, Professor Ben Joseph's book, because he does mention Germany as a place where innovation is happening in parking lots. Talk to us about that, Professor. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Larry. This is uh, that's quite correct. I mean, and we and I should I should uh, also say that we do see some of those kind of parking lots also appearing in the United States. Uh, again, uh, in Europe, we see great examples of using different types of materials, integrating the parking uh, lots more into the kind of urban fabric where really we and with that's what I, a little bit what I argue in my book is this, uh, those spaces could be seen almost as urban plazas. And when you design them differently, both in terms of the aesthetic, the material, we actually put some effort and spend some money uh, to actually improve those. They look beautiful. And they also are uh, uh, mitigate, as I said before, some of the environmental consequences. So, for example, if you use interlocking pavers or you use porous material or other types of material, it's not just aesthetically pleasing, but it also uh, deals quite a bit with stormwater runoff where you actually can percolate some of that water uh, into the ground in the space where it falls rather than what we have right now, which is impervious surfaces, asphalt, and most of it runs into the streets or into the gutters and then into our uh, water system and rivers. Um, so uh, indeed, in Europe, there's some wonderful examples. I, I, in the book, I mentioned one example, which is in Italy, actually, a project by uh, Renzo Piano. It's, a, it's the uh, Lingotto uh, Fiat factory where he actually took a large uh, parking lot and integrated as part of the buildings, both in terms of material, but also in thinking about how the workers come, park in that area, and actually move into the building. Uh, also in the United States now, with a lot of the environmental regulation, particularly with regard to stormwater management and stormwater runoff, we're starting to see uh, more and more places that are using quite innovative um, materials and actually also trying to implement that as part of the aesthetics. So... Um, you know, you, you, you asked me before why some of the parking lots are also ugly. One of it is definitely an issue of cost. When there are no regulations or when a developer or real estate um, a project does uh, try to put most of the funding and the cost into the building and then very little is left into the parking. So, of course, paving it with asphalt, planting two, three trees and a couple of shrubs, that's the, as much as, as they will do. But if they actually acknowledge that the parking lot is an integral part of the building, is what I call the first place you come into a project, the last place you live, and um, the places where um, those developers or if it is even retailers could spend some uh, more attention to, then indeed we can create some wonderful places. All right. Much more with uh, Professor as we continue our conversation. I'm Callie Crossley. We're talking about the peculiar institution that is parking with a focus on parking lots. My guest is Arun Ben-Joseph. His new book is Rethinking a Lot, the Design and Culture of Parking. You can join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. How'd you like to see parking lots redesigned for the 21st century? What parking lot would you nominate for an innovative makeover? 877 301 The conversation continues on WGBH, Boston Public Radio. This program is made possible thanks to you and New England Subaru, featuring the 2012 all-wheel drive Subaru Outback, recipient of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Award, dealer listing at NewEnglandSubaru.com. And Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, offering complete health care for you and your family. With 21 locations across greater Boston, Harvard Vanguard welcomes new patients and accepts most insurance. CareMadeEasy.org, an affiliate of Atrius Health. And from members of the Ralph Lowell Society, these most generous annual contributors lead the way in sustaining WGBH as a public media resource, available and free to all. WGBH.org slash Ralph Lowell. Musician Regina Spector loves when fans record her shows. I feel very lucky to live in this time where people can go online and get everything I've ever made. But she's got a motive. There's so many songs I would not know how to play if they weren't online, and it gives me such relief to know they're somewhere. Regina Spector on her YouTube cheat sheet, later on All Things Considered, from NPR News. This afternoon at 4, 
here on 89.7 WGBH. For 47 years now, the WGBH Spring Auction has been your chance to pick up some amazing deals. Welcome, welcome at last, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Channel 2 Auction. This year, you can bid on a brand new Toyota Prius, donated by your New England Toyota dealers. Bigger and better than ever. Every winning bid supports WGBH radio and television. If you have stamina and strong eyesight, stay with us. Bid high, bid often, but hurry. The Spring Auction ends May 31st. Place your bids now at auction.wgbh.org. Hey, this is Jad Abumrad. Join me every week for Radio Lab, a show that's about the mysteries of science and the magic of real life. Saturday afternoon at 2, here on WGBH Radio. No, no, no. This is my parking space, man. Now, what you need to do is put your little hybrid in reverse and go out the way you came in. What? Yo, it's about to get real in the Whole Foods parking lot, man. It's getting real in the Whole Foods parking lot. I got my steel and you I know, know it gets sparked in the a back lot. I'm on my grind, homie. It's on my mind, homie. These fools with clipboards are looking at me like they know me. Welcome back to the Cali Crossley Show. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about parking lots, those large, sometimes ugly, underused plots of land that take up huge swaths of our urban landscape and that could use an innovative makeover. I'm joined by MIT professor Aron Ben-Joseph. His new book is Rethinking a Lot, the Design and Culture of Parking. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Or you can write to our Facebook page or send us a tweet at Callie Crossley. Uh, so now we've been talking about what makes a, a good space. And it's not just having space, really. you got to really think about it. And if businesses or corporations or cities really thought about it as part of the landscape as just and not just an afterthought, they would look differently. I happen to know you drove here today so that you could check out the WGBH parking (laughs) lot. So what do you think? (laughs) Needs a lot of improvement. (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately, you got a beautiful building, right? But when you enter the parking lot, you kind of have to go all the way. So here here I am as your guest. I'm entering this parking lot. It's in the back of the building. I have no clue where the entrance is, or there's a little sign that says entrance over here. And then you enter this beautiful lobby, uh, great chair. So why not integrate that area as part of, uh, the, as I said, the sequence of actually arriving to this wonderful, great building? All right. There you heard it, so. folks at GBH. <laughs> <laughs> Judy from Boston, go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, 89.7. Hi, I'm just. I just want to say that I'm so happy that somebody's addressing this. It's been an eyesore ever since I can remember. Oh, did we lose you, Judy? You still there? You're coming in and out. Hello. Yeah, gotcha. Keep going. Okay. She's probably in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, uh, Professor Aron Ben-Joseph says, you're probably in a parking lot and we lost you. Uh, but anyway, her, the gist was she was glad that uh, someone such as yourself is really giving it the yeah, uh, proper attention because, uh, you know, we really don't think about it. Yeah, thank you. This is, I think my purpose was to write this book and to reach the general public more than, I think, uh, professionals and uh and public officials, although I think that's important too. But there's there are books that deal kind of more with the professional side of uh uh, of parking and how you design it, and in a way, I would uh, sadly would say that they're not uh, succeeded in terms of improving, maybe a little bit incrementally, but in a way of uh, of doing a book that is a bit more uh, popular in terms of kind of uh, looking at parking, and hopefully, as people read it or at least uh, think about it, they will uh, not see parking lot in the same light again, and and the change will happen uh, by by paying more attention to it. Uh, Brian from West Roxbury, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, eighty nine point seven. I just uh, reiterate what the previous uh, caller said. I'm, I'm glad somebody's, uh, you know, uh, addressing this issue. I think it doesn't take uh, a lot of work to make the parking lots uh, more pleasant and our surroundings more pleasant. Um, you'd ask about examples of good parking lots. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, I think a beautiful example is the parking lot in downtown Boston at Post Office Square. Ah. Um, that used to be a, a four or five story above ground uh, hulking mess and. Uh, they redid it and put an underground, put a park on top, and it's a beautiful, oh. uh, beautiful little uh, urban park and uh, and a very well run parking lot underneath. It's beautiful. Do you ever stop to uh, you know take a moment to appreciate it? Uh, absolutely, yeah, and a lot of people do. It's a very popular spot for um, you know for lunchtime, and uh, I think it's even made it into. Uh, I've seen it in a couple of movies. Even it's really a beautiful park. Thank you so much for the call, Brian. You're welcome. 
Uh, so, Professor, that brings me to a huge part of your book, which is really to talk about the culture uh, of parking for Americans and parking lots for Americans. Talk about that, if you will, about how much this often ugly space is really so much a part of being American. That's right. So uh, it's kind of an interesting story, too, in itself, because when I first uh, started to write this book, my intention was uh, really to write more, as I said, kind of a case studies about the design of the parking lot, really looking at it from the uh, more planning design side. How do you design the surfaces? But I didn't think as much about the actual use and the culture that is uh, often uh, involved in in the use of the parking lot. And as I was uh, starting to do my research, I started to get uh, more and more interested in the other side, in a way how, uh, for example, people behave in parking lots. As I I mentioned before, if you think about yourself, and most of us do drive uh, sometimes, so when we actually look for uh, a space, we behave very differently. There's a certain aggression, uh, (laughs) you know, and we want to find the closest parking spot next to the the entrance, and we sometimes will circle for five minutes uh, to find the closest or spot or longer instead of just parking a little bit far away and walk. And then when we get out of the car and we become pedestrian, we become hostile towards the other drivers because we feel quite, uh, and, and rightly so in many cases, that we are in danger of somebody backing uh, and, and running over us. And of course, if you have children, you're mortified that your kids are going to run behind cars that are backing. And then uh, and then there are the stories you kind of remember. Most of us, I think, remember about our youth and the time we spend in, in parking lot, maybe not as observed by our parents or by adults and <laughs> and uh, and the things we do there. And it's kind of, I thought, well, that's, that's an interesting phenomenon because uh, there is an importance to any urban environment to those kind of places that are a little bit uh, maybe less designed, um, less controlled, and allow for um, for my, somewhat, somewhat of a spontaneous uh, behavior. The other thing is that the parking lot itself, many parking lots are actually empty uh, during, for example, the weekend if they are in, in an urban location. And uh, and what you start hearing, and of course everybody have seen and many people have seen the use of parking lot as flea markets or as farmer's market during the weekend. Uh, but also you start seeing people play sports sometimes, uh, soccer, basketball, particularly in urban areas where uh, open space is not as available. Uh, and so as I was uh, researching and people will tell me all these stories about these wonderful activities, um, I, I got intrigued. And so part of the book is also covering, um, as, as I call it, kind of the culture of parking. Um, I learned to drive. Uh, my dad taught me to drive in a parking lot that was Thanks. empty, you know, uh, early in the morning on weekends. So has very fond memories of that, you know, my dad holding his heart while I was trying to navigate the parking lot. So it really is so integral to American culture because cars are, of course, and so that, you know, the the, the parking of cars then becomes as much... a, a part of that whole scene. And of course, yeah, people love to show their cars. There's all these car shows where people b- bring their antique cars and we see that on the weekend and they show them in parking lots. Uh, uh, there are people who park in parking lots. There is this uh, thing called boondocking. Yeah, where, I wanted to talk where, about yeah, that. Walmart. For example, yeah. which is the Walmart. There's yeah. the people who, uh, who actually, uh, uh, the, the boondocking, which of course comes from kind of more uh, military, again, military terminology, but has been adopted by people who uh, drive with RV and Walmart allows them to park overnight in the parking lots and they camp there and it's in a way free, but they also shop in the parking lot and uh, the shop in the Walmart uh, that is associated with that parking lot. So again, there's a kind of, uh, of uh, a cultural element. There's the uh, uh, what we call the parking lot pickers, which are of course kind of bluegrass music and they love to get into parking lot. Uh, the tailgating, which is of yeah. course uh, very much of an American culture uh, phenomena where people are just uh, sitting in the parking lot before games and, and, and having good time. So the car and the parking lot, again, Again, uh, an important kind of connection. And in the, in the instance of the boondocking, uh, we, we, oh, this is a case where consumers have uh, have caused a change. So Walmart became aware of the fact that people were using with these parking their big airstreams there. And by right. the way, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is a boondocker <laughs> okay, at Walmart. <laughs> so uh, so a lot of people are doing it, and they just made space, and that That's created right. a different kind of community. Yes. So we've seen that adaptation, which is all part of what you're doing. Let's take another call. Uh, Peter from Bill Ricca. Go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, 89.7. Hi. This falls less under the aesthetics and more under the doing more for less in the urban area. Uh, I live about 30 miles north of Boston, and uh, there's Spalding Rehab Hospital down there. It looks like what they do is they expanded their building, but since they have a limited amount of space, they couldn't expand their parking for the new employees. Mm -hmm. So they basically stack park. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah. They 
they have these metal, I won't call them metal, I've never actually touched a metal um, stacks, yeah. and basically the first car pulls in, They it's lifted up above, above, and then somebody else pulls in under them. I don't really um, know how they how they handle. I might talk to the screener how they handle getting the second car down if it's necessary. Maybe they keep the keys from the first one. But um, I just thought you know I pass it when I go into the city, and I always think that that's it. It's weird. It just looks weird because I've never seen it before. Like, so you've never actually had a car in there. You just observed it. I have never parked in there. Okay. No, because it, okay. is, it is for the facility, the hospital uh, parkers. I'm guessing. All right. Well, let me let the professor respond. Thank you so much, Peter, for the call. Thank you. Uh, Professor, have you heard about that? Yes, of course. Thanks, uh, Peter, for mentioning it. So, of course, we see, and I think it goes back again to also what Brian mentioned in terms of Post Office Square, which, of course, is an underground parking, uh, and then there's a park on top, which is a wonderful solution. But as I often stress in my book, there are uh, parking lots that are underground, there are parking garages, and then there's the surface lot. From my intention, I was more interested in the kind of more the mundane surface lot. But we do see, indeed, in places where parking uh, becomes uh, more expensive and where land becomes more expensive and you want to utilize and get greater efficiency, uh, then we start seeing um, other innovation. One of those is this uh, metal structure that you can indeed park cars one on top of the other. Uh, it works. The Manhattan has a lot of those, for example, where, hmm. again, it's a city which is much more uh, dense and the parking uh, is very expensive. It works well where uh, you come and you um, you have a, um, uh, somebody who uh, take your keys for example, and actually uh, uh, keep track of the cars. And again, if you don't use or need the car for the whole day, but you come to work in, let's say, 9 and, nine and leave at 5, then they can actually stack that uh, because you don't need access to your car. So those work very well for places uh, that have uh, um, parking that are mainly for workers. But if you are l- talking about a shopping mall, for example, or in a- any other situation where people need access to the car or they come and shop on an irregular basis, then, uh, you, then this kind of mechanism doesn't work as much. All right. This is a perfect segue into uh, my next guest. Uh, joining us on the line is Jason Schreiber. He's a principal at Nelson Nygaard, where one of the things he focuses on is the cost of parking. He also looks at how to create a better balance between cars and other modes of transportation. Jason Schreiber, thank you for joining us. Hi, Gally, and hi, Aaron. Hi, Jason. So, uh, as you know, we've been talking about surface parking lots and ways that they're not working well and some innovative designs. And what you are addressing are really curbside parking and, to some extent, garages. There's a a little bit of a parallel there. And about how cities, uh, if they pay attention, because it comes back to what the professor said at the beginning, often this is the last thing that cities are paying attention to or communities or businesses. And there is an efficient way uh, for us to park, an innovative way that would uh, allow for uh, really a better return for both the consumer and the city. Yeah, we usually find that uh, parking is sort of the uh, the third rail of politics in many downtowns. It's the, the thing that people like to complain about the most and try to solve the least. And they look at uh, the regulations that we do in our communities, whether we put up meters, whether we've got lots of enforcement as the uh, the evil stick, uh, more or less, that tries to move people around, and usually not very well. And there's been a lot of communities that have started to try to change how they treat parking, using it more as a, a tool for economic development, and recognize that an available parking space at the front door or in the the closest parking lot or garage is far more valuable to them than having it filled up with uh, regulations that let people park there all day or can feed a cheap meter. And you see this happen in lots of cities um, where it's just very cheap to park on street and you can't find a space on street and you circle around all day and you're forced to go into a higher price garage. Well, and that's y- where a downtown, uh, you know, uh, that just has a lot of surface parking sometimes needs to prioritize what it's doing with those spaces. In fact, uh, you've made the radical statement, I'm going to say it's radical, that uh, people see curbside parking as free, but it shouldn't be considered that way. No, absolutely not. I mean, if you really think about it, too, um, it's sort of like a commodity. So the the front door spaces right out front of the shop you want to visit are the most valuable spaces. The last place we want to park is out back in the lot or in the top deck of a garage, and sometimes those are often more expensive, especially in a a place like Boston where it's a lot of parking demand. There's a few cities who flip that around. Uh, San Francisco's got this well-known national project where they're trying to make it more expensive to park on street. 
and it's worked pretty well. A lot of people have reacted strongly. There's not many local examples. Nashua, New Hampshire has started to do this just recently, and the, the merchants have actually responded really positively because they see customers getting their front door parking spaces, even if they're more expensive, and the employees can go park more remotely where it's cheaper. So your your theory is if you have to pay more to be right in front of where you're trying to shop, say, uh, then you're willing to pay more to do that, and there will be more of a turnover for the business businesses than less because you, if it's not as expensive, then you take the risk that somebody's just parking there, but they're not particularly patronizing that business. Yeah, that's something we see in lots of downtowns, and, and I'm sure Aaron's familiar with uh, Don Shoup's work. He's a professor out of UCLA who's done a lot of writing. His book, The High Cost of Free Parking, talks a lot about it. But you'll see this in a downtown. We'll go out and do a study, and you can see the, the merchants uh, or their employees parking out front where the customer should be. Maybe not in front of their business, usually in front of their neighbor's business. And the customer who would come in is only staying for you know 30 minutes, an hour, even if the the price is a dollar, two dollars, or more an hour. It may only cost them a couple quarters if they're buying an eighty-dollar pair of running shoes to get that space out front. It'd be a lot more valuable than the employee taking up that parking space. Well, I think it's worked also uh, in other instances. I'm going to refer, and maybe you're aware of this. Though there's a community garage in Harvard Square. It's been there forever. Um, it was also very reasonably priced. That price of parking in that garage has leaped up through the heavens now. So mm-hmm. I used to go and sit and you know wait and pray for somebody to pull out, and it was great. Now, rarely have I gone, and maybe I make a pass through there once, but somebody's coming out of there because it is expensive. So yeah. it's working, I guess, on a small scale. <laughs> and there's a lot of places that have ultimately seen this happen, and it's really the private sector that has figured it out the most. I mean, you come into downtown Boston, the garages in the financial district are very high price. The, the caller referred earlier to the post office square garage, which is incredibly high price because it's prime property. Yeah. You go over to a little bit further away into Chinatown, it's a little bit cheaper. You go back up to the back bay, it gets really expensive again. Uh, but the public sector, we haven't figured it out as much. Uh, actually, Chicago is a good example where they had the private sector come in and start running their public system. And immediately they started pricing based on demand. And the price in the loop in downtown Chicago now is over $6 an hour to park on street, and they still haven't cleared the market. There's that much demand. So is it happening in Boston? Is it going to happen around this area? What's What's been the response? Uh, from what Other I know... Other than Harvard the city, Square. They're doing it in yeah. Harvard Square. <laughs> okay. Well, and, and even in Harvard Square, the price might be able to be higher. It's still sometimes hard to find a space up there. Not in the and community garage. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. There it's high enough. Yeah. Uh, I think in Boston, uh, the city is very interested in trying to, to figure this out, as many other cities are. They look to... Uh, places like San Francisco, uh, Chicago, uh, even New York and D.C. are experimenting with this and, and recognize that there is a lot of value lost on street, not so much for the city coffers if they increase their meter rates. It's really actually to the businesses and the access for the customers and the convenience and that a city where it's hard to find parking on street may actually be discouraging commerce and encouraging people to go out to the suburbs where parking is cheaper or free. And it's in their best interest to kind of change that dynamic a little bit. Uh, 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Uh, this is the Cali Crossley Show. We're talking about parking, uh, both parking lots and about really charging more to park to make more space uh, available for those who wish to park. Uh, my guests are Aron Ben-Joseph and Jason Schreiber. Around Ben Joseph's new book is Rethinking a Lot, The Design and Culture of Parking. And Jason Schreiber is a principal at Nelson Nygaard, where parking and how we use transportation is among the many things he works on. Again, our number is 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or send us a tweet. So uh, now that we have examples, clear examples in San Francisco and el- other places, uh, Jason, uh I'm not certain I understand what the reluctance would be in any of these communities, except to say that, as in the case with Professor Ben Joseph, it seems like these issues around parking are just like the last thing that anybody thinks of, yet they are so central uh, in many ways to American culture. So 
What what's the sticking point? Um, why, why can't we get off the dime, if you will, or the dollar? We love <laughs> we love the automobile. Okay. I mean, the American the American love affair of the automobile, as Aaron's book really points out clearly, has been dramatic, and we've had such. Uh, significant changes, at least in, in policies and how we approach things to accommodate driving. And uh, you know, I think a long time ago, when we first started trying to regulate the car coming into play, it was like the first parking meters in the 20s, uh, we became afraid to start doing just what we're talking about now, and land use planning came into play. And the assumption that you know we could build our way out of this problem by creating off-street parking requirements uh, which really expanded post-war during the suburbanization, uh, presumed that a parking lot or a parking garage was like a vacuum cleaner would suck all the cars off street. Hmm. And in reality, downtowns are always congested at the front door, except where it's you know a little bit more costly and it's cheaper to park out back and it's very obvious that you can go out there. And that generally doesn't happen. We haven't kept pace with the demand. And then you look at the Across the land and the, and the Boston area, I mean, uh, a parking space uh, on on average, a 300 foot parking, uh, a 300 square foot parking space is worth thirty thousand dollars in land value minimum. And downtown Boston a few years ago, something went for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I think, when it was sold. That's a lot of value locked up um, in the land. And we're trying to think about affordable housing. We're trying to think about commerce. That land area can be used more efficiently. But boy, do we love the car. All right. But in loving the car, I mean, and this is a question I asked Professor Joseph, I'm going to go back to him on this, uh, because he's made it clear that it, to, for a, a parking lot to be a good use of space, it needs to really address environmental concerns as well as, you know, the needs of the consumer of the, and for those of us who do love the car, Americans. So the same thing with your proposals. Uh, just to be clear, uh, it's a lucrative uh, it could be a lucrative for any city or or business planning it in this way, but it also happens to bring some um, some innovation really to thinking about uh, the environment in the way that this would work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, well, <laughs> I would say this: uh, I would say that the the parking lot um, certainly has a lot of potential for working better in a downtown parking system. Um, the The problem I would say is. The places we want to be, and I, I would throw this at, at, at the professors, that the places we want to be to really engage with our communities are usually the sidewalk or, or the plaza. They're the, they're the front door. Those are the really valuable spaces. And while a parking lot, if I was pricing it, would cost just a little bit less and, and maybe a little bit more than a, a further remote garage or something, it's also not my number one concern for making lots of improvements to. And I would mm. certainly agree. Mm -hmm. There's some bad parking lots, and we've been really bad at getting in landscaping and best management practices and safe walkways. And, and we all forget every motorist is a pedestrian. When they get out of the car, they step out of their parking lot, and there's no walkways in most parking lots. There's, there's, it's scary, if not dangerous, in many regards. And I've got little kids, and they're, they're smaller than the bumpers of half the vehicles out there. And when you have to drive, it's a dangerous environment. But yet, that's not the place I want to then hang out. Okay. I, mean, I really would prefer to create the nice plaza by the shops around the corner. All right. That's Jason Schreiber, principal at Nelson Nygaard, uh, where parking and how we use transportation is among the many things he works on. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you, Jason. Uh, now, Professor, to that point, yes. uh, he's Jason just said, I don't want to hang out on the parking lot, but people are hanging out. Sure. And there are now some innovative designs uh, right here in town where people are combining both the car usage efficiently and the design as a community space. Well, I mean, I can uh, let me just also uh, go back at, at what uh, Jason said, which I think is absolutely important. I mean, the old issue of parking demand, parking ratio, and parking costs are absolutely uh, right on target. Um, the the thing is that most of that could be. Uh, basically apply to downtown areas. When we look at San Francisco, when we look at uh, at Boston, uh, places that they, it was tried. But what do we do in places like Brighton? What do we do in places that we uh, that are in Kansas City? What do we do in in Los Angeles, where there's not as good transit, where things are spread? And yes, it is not just the part uh, of uh, the American love for cars, but it's also a consequences of what we have done for the last uh, you know seventy years in terms of land use. And it's not something that is going to change anytime soon. 
people don't have good transit when they live in some of those other cities and they still rely on their car and they still have to get to work and they still have to park it uh, and they will not use curb parking they still have to so and putting transit right now is not something's going to happen for the first in the next 10 or 20 years in most of these um, of these uh, cities so it's not that I don't wish for that kind of uh, solution where everybody takes trains or buses or ride bicycles but I think unfortunately we'll still will be relying on cars as a mean of transportation now in terms of uh um, the, seeing some, some nice example, I often refer to one of my favorite, uh, I guess it's not ideal, it's not perfect, but it has an interesting, um, uh, I think, kind of design that it actually does act like a plaza and a place where cars um, are there too, uh, is the parking lot at Portis Square, particularly in Cambridge. And it's particularly the part that is close to Mass Ave. I think what you see there is a kind of a nice and interesting uh, integration of a parking lot that is very tight. Drivers usually hate driving there, uh, getting there, uh, because the pedestrians are always crisscrossing uh, both sides. It has dimension that is much more, uh, I think, tight than typical parking lot. It has nice, uh, at least as I said in the front part, um, planting. It has wide sidewalks next to the parking lot where actually there are tables and chairs. Uh, and people sit there if it's a nice day and have their coffee. There's a bookstore at the corner there that is quite popular. Uh, so yes, there are plazas, but there are plazas that are integrated within the fabric of the parking lot itself. And as I said, pedestrians there feel that they have almost the right of way uh, and cars are inferior. Uh, so yes, people find the parking and they're tight. They get out, they walk through the parking lot. They don't necessarily need to find the uh, the path that is designated for them because they feel that they have more kind of a priority. And the space feels uh, quite nice. It also has a nice relationship to the street itself. They, uh, they have art there. Uh, some people don't like the art itself, but at least they try to acknowledge that there is kind of a plaza at the entrance to the parking lot. Um, that kind of a concept comes from, again, from Europe, where they try to uh, integrate cars and pedestrians together in spaces that they call, particularly in the Netherlands, the Wunerf or shared streets, where there is actually no differentiation between cars and pedestrians. And I know for some people it seems like a scary concept and a problematic one. The idea is that if you drive into a space that has no designation or separate designation for cars and pedestrians, as a driver, you feel like you enter a different space and you actually behave psychologically very different. Right. And so those are kind of the things that can be that can be done. I'll give you my idea about uh, my response to Porter Square on the way back. I'm Callie Crossley. We're talking about parking, parking lots, and reinventing the parking lot innovatively. You can join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You're listening to WGBH Boston Public Radio. I'm just trying to find a decent Pinot Noir for 120 Then I take it to the cheese counter, Humboldt Farm. Just ran out, sir. Really, dog? Take it easy, man. I try to calm myself. I've been on edge ever since they took kombucha off the shelf. It's getting real in the Whole Foods parking lot. Yeah. I got my steel and you know it gets sparked a lot. I'm on my grind, homie. It's on my mind. That's right. These fools with clipboards are looking at me right I said now. not right it's now. It's getting real in the Whole Foods parking lot. Uh-huh. You know the deal with the little shopping carts they got. Yeah. Check out what I say. Yeah. It happens every day. That's right. It's how we live on the west side of L.A. This program is on WGBH thanks to you and UMass Memorial Healthcare and its gynecologic surgeons, providing minimally invasive and robotic techniques for cancer, fibroids, infertility, and more. You can ask questions online at umassmemorial.org slash gynesurgery. And Concord Lamp and Shade. We have customers come into the store all of the time who will note that they heard our sponsorship on WGBH. Ann Eckert, owner either they're existing customers and were happy that we were sponsoring, or um, they're new customers who came in as a result of listening to the sponsorship on GBH. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit WGBH.org slash sponsorship. I went down to the river to watch the fish swim by. That's Hank Williams from the soundtrack of the new Wes Anderson film Moonrise Kingdom. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with Randall Poster, music supervisor of that film and all of Wes Anderson's films. He's also chosen music for directors Martin Scorsese, Todd Haynes, and Richard Linkletter. Join us. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. If you're looking for something that's cool and sweet and sprinkled with fun, the WGBH Fun Fest is all that with a cherry on top. 
Saturday, July 14th at WGBH in Brighton. It's a day hand-packed with ice-creamy goodness. Mix it up with PBS Kids characters, swirl in some rides, games, music, and more. It's enough to make you melt. Tickets will sell out, and that's a sure bet, so don't waffle. Get the whole scoop at WGBH.org slash funfest while you still cone. Uh, sorry, can. At the park, Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. If you're just tuning in, we're having a parking lot party. We're talking about parking, parking lots, and parking lot culture. I'm joined by MIT professor Aron Ben-Joseph. His new book is Rethinking a Lot, the Design and Culture of Parking. Uh, so, Professor Ben-Joseph, before the break, uh, you talked about Porter Square uh, in, Har- in uh, Cambridge being one of your favorite spots because it incorporated a lot of what you see uh, as, as valuable. I have to say, as a driver there, mm-hmm. I hate it. As a as a person that just enjoys the space, When I, once I'm parked, it's okay. But it's awful. They took away the angle parking and put these tight little spaces. Awful, awful, mm-hmm. awful. And it's a wonderful space space to sit and enjoy all the rest of the stuff, including there's an ice cream shop in there, That's too. Right. So, uh, you know, they got to do something about the. You got to satisfy both sides. That's correct. So, you know, we're coming to the end of this conversation and I, I, I can't let you go without talking about what can be done right now, um, ideally for low cost, so that some of our parking lots mirror what's happening in some of the, the other cities and towns across the world where their innovation is taking place. And uh, where we can pay attention to the environment at the same time. Yeah, so I think uh, some of the easiest uh, things that we can start doing is really pay attention, as you said, to the environmental consequences. For example, uh, something as simple as increasing the landscape and increasing the the pervious surfaces, not impervious, but pervious surfaces, whether it is to try to get... Uh, more trees in the parking lot, to take some spaces and actually turn them into what we call swales, a soft area where actually the runoff can, uh, from the surfaces themselves can accumulate and actually percolate into the groundwater. And planting, that's a very easy solution that I think even communities can do, uh, can organize uh, doing it and aesthetically will improve the, the space itself in the parking lot and I think will... Uh, would be a great benefit in terms of the environmental uh, mitigation. So that's something that is as easy uh, and can be done both by communities and also by um, by store owners or even by um, municipalities if they actually want to uh, uh, increase the aesthetics and actually mitigate for some of that. Uh, another thing is to let... Uh, um, again, communities use parking lots uh, during off-peak hours for other um, other usages, whether it is really in the weekend, if people want to have uh, a concert, they want to have a party, uh, they want to have uh, some kind of a market, or even for uh, playing sport, uh, putting basketball hoops in uh, parking lots, for example, that or in a corner of a parking lot that is not heavily used during the weekend will allow kids to play there, and that might be much closer sometimes to their uh, homes than actually walking around or, or getting into uh, uh, sport facilities that is yeah. quite far away. So there's a lot of stuff that we can be done, yeah. and innovation can be just something, sometimes a better idea. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking about parking with Aran Ben-Joseph. He's a professor of landscape architecture and urban planning at MIT. His new book is Rethinking a Lot, The Design and Culture of Parking. You can keep on top of the Callie Crossley Show at WGBH.org slash Callie Crossley. Follow us on Twitter or become a fan of the Callie Crossley Show on Facebook. Today's show was engineered by Antonio Oliar, produced by Chelsea Murs, Will Roselip, and Abby Ruzica. We're a production of WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They paved paradise, put up a parking lot. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot. (laughs) 